Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be finishing Parshas Tazria with Tazria Shvi, the seventh Aliyah in Parshas Tazria. In uh, our Aliyah, it is a short Aliyah of only five psukim from a Perek Yud Gimel Posuk Nunhe to Posuk Nuntes. This is the end of our Parsha. The topic is the, the plague on one's vessels or one's clothing. This is really the continuation. If you remember at the end of the last Aliyah, there was a discussion about a quarantined clo- clothing of unsure. It's not clear as to whether it is impure or impure. It was washed. And at this point on the coin, now re-examines it as well. If, on the one hand, there's two options of what can happen. If it is not changed in appearance, and it, even if it hasn't expanded, but it is therefore considered tame, it is impure, and then it needs to be burnt. It is a sign of what he calls a pecheses ki, the Torah tells us, it is a mark of decay that can be on the smooth or the fluffy side of the cloth. Okay, So this will make it a uh, impure. However, if it has now diminished in its, in its, in its, uh, its, uh, its view, it does not look as strong in this case, then in such a case, we hear that the Torah tells us that... Um, that it can be removed, the parts that are infected are removed, and the mark area can be burnt in fire, and the rest is washed and, um, and, and immersed. A tefillah is done, and it is now made pure. Okay, so the default, if it remains the same, is that it'll be impure after quarantine, but if it, rem- if it changes, that's when it becomes pure. Okay, uh, if it changes backwards, downwards, then it becomes pure. Few, uh, just a few basic questions. One question in our layer is, is why is it that it's burnt? Why is the significance of burning something which is impure? The Rabag says this is on a very basic level, um, a to withholding the owner getting any benefit from it as well. Zoysa Srefa, he chutz la'ir, kia beged ha'menuga, yeshula chutz la'ir, kumoshi bi'arnu. And he says it's thrown out of the city. And that nobody will be able to get any benefit from it. They'll not be able to benefit from anything which is affected by this plague. Um, there are a lot of things to think about in general, but just one comment looking back on this parasha as a whole of the contraction of Tzoraz, which is mostly dealt with in this parasha. A little bit more will be in Parsha Smitzora as well. But the one is is a very interesting observation which many of the Mepharshim for centuries have made, which is why is it that when describing the contraction of the plague of Tzoraz, it describes Adam, a person in the term Adam, which literally means the Adam, the first human being. Why is that the term? It seems that that's a, a term of endearment. It is a term of success. It's a term of spiritual success. Why is this the term used here? So it actually goes back to a very interesting trial that where that happened in the early 1900s. This was in, um, this is a very famous and very sad trial. Where on March 12, 1911, um, a uh, um, a a 13-year-old Ukrainian boy, Andrei Yushachinsky, disappeared on his way back from school, and eight days later, his body was discovered murdered in a cave near a certain the uh, uh, of brick factory, uh, mutilated and murdered. And the lamplighter who was at the factory testified that the, the, the murderer had been actually a, 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 Jewish, a Jewish man by the name of Menachem Mendel by Abelis. Not a from a very basic brick, a brick factory worker individual. He was put into, into prison and he was wa- waited there for two years until he went to trial. And there were many, many fabrications made against him. Much, much of the Russian press 
um, fabricated stories. This was part of a ritual murder of Christian boys in order to create, take blood for the matzahs. This was around the time of Easter and Pesach and many of the blood libels went about at this time. And they tried to trick men, Mendel Bayless into, into making an admission and they, they, they came to him and they said that there's a time where all those who are, are convicts of hard labor can be set free and you refuse to leave until he got free trial. Um, and and the, the, the famously Bernard Melamed's um, book or novel called The Fixer is based on this trial as well. What's interesting about this is that when it did go to trial ultimately, um, the p part of the trial was not just against Menachem Bayless, but of course it became an attack on the entire Jewish liturgy. It became an attack on, on the Talmud, on the, the Old Testament, on the ideas of Judaism from uh, uh, the, the Halacha, the Machshava, the philosophy of Judaism, that, the, the, that, it, that Judaism was a religion which was bloodthirsty, which saw uh, the, uh, the, those who are not Jewish as subhuman and to be sacrificed as part of their ritual. That was the accusation on, the, um, on Menachem Mendel Bayless, and he was seen as, so to speak, the scapegoat of this. It is interesting to note, just by the way, that there was a, a very, very upstanding detective. His name was Nikolai um, Nikolai Krasovsky, who was a detective who did investigate this and found that it was very unlikely that Mr. Bayless could have committed this crime, but he, when refusing to fabricate the evidence, was dismissed and carried on the investigation um, independently and was able to, to, to show so many strong proofs as to his innocence. Um, but now, in the, in the meantime, just to, to appreciate this, um, one, of the, one of the main contentions was actually we'll call it a religious argument. So there was a Catholic priest whose name was Justinus Pranatus, who was uh, from Tashkent. He wrote an anti-Semitic work in 1892 called Talmud and Mosque. And in, it, and, and in this trial, he was trying to prove that the Jews ritually slaughter or need the blood of Christian children for their matzahs. And one of the, the, one, uh, and one of the proofs that he brought to his case is the Gomorrah Nyuvah, which tells, it says that the, the, the graves of non-Jewish people are not metame oil. They, if one touches a non-Jewish body, there is impurity, but one cannot, if one is standing in the same room as the body or above the, uh, the, the body, there is no tumas ohel. There's no tent, so to speak, or canopy, which con conveys the tumah like it would with a Jewish body. Why? The, the, the quotes in the Pasuk, Adam, Atem, you are a human, uh, an Adam, Adam, um, Adam, Krim, Adam, Agoyim, Krim, Adam, the nations of the world are not called um, Adam. So he says, from here you see that non-Jews are treated as subhuman, and if they're treated as subhuman, that's why they can be um, they can be slaughtered. Sounds like a very convincing proof. So the, the, the rabbi of Moscow at the time, Rav Yaakov Mazer, um, was, uh, was called into defense, and he said the following idea, which actually is in, uh, recorded in the Sefer Arperion, Rav Shlomo Gansfried's um, work on the Torah, in which he quotes this going back to the Alshech and, uh, um, and expands upon this idea, which Rav Yaakov Mazer later on said. And he says that perhaps you misread the Gomorrah. The reason the Gomorrah calls the nation of Israel Adam is because Adam is a unique word in that it cannot be pronounced, it cannot be conjugated in plural. So as opposed to, let's say, when we say that you have a, uh, um, a kisei as, as a chair, kisaot is the plural, chairs. When you talk about a shulchan, a, the table, there's shulchanot. When you talk about the yad, the hand, yadayim. There is no plural for adam. Adam is adam is adam. Why is that? It's because adam denotes something which is unitary, which means that even when you have a large amount of human beings or um, under this category, they're still called adam. They cannot be broken apart. So that's an appellation only given to the nation of Israel. And you know why that is? 
Because Menachem Bayless, who is an individual who nobody knew about across the world, was a simple bricklayer in the Ukraine, in Kiev. Yatsas outside of Kiev was, was, was an individual who nobody had heard of, but yet Jews in America were raising funds for. There were campaigns in England about this terrible trial, the anti-Semitic trial going on um, in the East, which shows you that the nation of Israel are unitary. They're one. In the same way as well, the trial was not simply against this unlearned, unschooled, unlettered Jew. It was against the very faith which he didn't even know about. He worked on Shabbos. He was working on Shabbos. This occurred on a Saturday morning where he had an alibi. He was at the brick factory um, when, when this even occurred. It was such a poor trial. But nonetheless, the entire religion is at stake because Adam Atem were still one human being. That's what's being said. And therefore, in introducing Parshas Tazria, the Torah uses the word Adam Atem for the very simple reason, human being. Why? Not like the nations of the world where perhaps if there's a, if one person who suffers, maybe their immediate circle or those around them, their family will care, certainly. But larger than that, the nation, the nationality, do they really care in the same way when a Jew is hurt around the world, Jews cry. When a Jew suffers, other Jews suffer and try to help. That's Adam Atem. And therefore, it's so crucial when a person commits one of the crimes, in, uh, spiritual crimes in this parasha, which leads to the plague of Tsaras, those spiritual crimes are all selfish. They're all about oneself and separating oneself from society and the rest of the nation of Israel. And that undermines the very notion of who they're supposed to be, which is Adam, which is supposed to be one unit as a nation. That's the part that they're losing. And that's what leads to this notion of Tsaras. With this, we conclude Parashas Tazria and the seventh Aliyah. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day and a beautiful Shabbat.